I'm Birna, a certified sex educator tackling topics at the intersection of health, culture, and sexuality. I'll answer questions ranging from the health-related to the raunchy. I want to show that we are all more alike than we might think, and our intimate lives don't begin and end in bed. This is Beyond the Bedroom. So today I have with me a very special guest. I have Chelsea Morgan, who happens to be the sound editor of Beyond the Bedroom and is also a intimacy coach in training. So I'm very excited to chat with them here today. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Chelsea Morgan. My pronouns are they, them. I am a multimedia professional, a sex educator, and a writer. And I currently am in school to be specifically an intimacy coordinator for film and TV. So for people who don't know, what is an intimacy coordinator and why are they important? So intimacy coordinators specifically, I just want to preface it by saying that intimacy coordinators work in film and television, whereas there's also intimacy directors for live shows and theater. Both are the person in the room that is in charge of making sure that any actors in any intimate scenes or any simulated sex scenes are one, respected as actors, making sure that they consent to everything going on, making sure that they have conversations about each other's boundaries and that they feel safe in the room. But they also coordinate other things like making sure that there's a closed set, like there's no extra people on set, making sure that the actors get paid accordingly because there are regulations about getting paid more for scenes of nudity and any sort of simulated sex. Anything specific that has to do with the scene of intimacy, the intimacy coordinator is there to make sure that everything goes correctly and that everyone's boundaries are respected. Right. So do you work in porn? For those who might be wondering, do you work in porn or do you work more like on a TV show set or could you do both or what's the situation? That's a good question. It's actually the first question my mom asked when I told her what I was going to do for a living. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, So intimacy coordinators and intimacy directors specifically are in simulated sex acts, which means there's no actual sex going on. We don't work in porn as of now. I do think there is a wonderful use for them in the porn industry. And I would love eventually to get intimacy coordinators or intimacy consultants at some point onto porn sets. But as of right now, we're focusing on simulated sex acts in Hollywood and in theater. Okay, cool. So I'm sure because people always ask me all the time, whenever I talk about sex work, or you know, the industry, they always ask what my position or my role in that is. And I'm always like, well, I'm not on set. (laughs) But I do like, you know, help sex educators train to be more inclusive with sex workers and stuff like that. And I think you're totally right that there's factors of the sex industry as a whole, whether it's intimacy coordinators or sex educators or sex workers, I think there's so much overlap. And I think eventually there'll be a lot more gray area than there is now where everything's very strictly black and white. Like I do not do that kind of mentality. I think it's really fascinating that intimacy coordinators exist. I went to acting school and I didn't receive any sort of really training on intimacy coordination, but I did receive a lot about like fighting, like stage combat, even fencing, stuff like that. And so I think it's really interesting that this is such a huge part of media and we don't really discuss the ins and outs of it. So I think the work you do is super important. I want to know what are some other misconceptions about what you do? I would think the first one is that, well, like you said, that we direct porn, which is not exactly what we do. But also I think that people People underestimate how new this field is. 
So there is not an intimacy coordinator or an intimacy coach on every set. Every sex scene you see is not choreographed. The first instance, like major instance of intimacy coordinating in Hollywood was in 2018 on season two of The Deuce. And actually my cohort of people who are getting trained are the first to be trained. Other than the first group of intimacy coordinators that like created the industry, they now finally developed a school and are just starting their training program in 2020. Wow. So this is a very, very new industry, which I think is important. It's, it's building and we're trying to get our staff, I guess, in as many sets as humanly possible. Another one is, and this is unfortunate, it's just one thing that I really want to sort of bridge the gap is that intimacy coordinators are not necessarily trained in comprehensive sex ed. They're not sex educators. They're trained in like consent and boundaries. A lot of them come from fight coordination and they do have some sort of knowledge in how to make a situation safe. However, they don't have a comprehensive sex ed or comprehensive mental health curriculum. So there is like, there are some requirements of like you have to be a mental health first aider you have to be trained in bystander intervention we're trained in a lot of things that relate to sex ed and relate to mental health but they are not necessarily an expert in that right so I'm sure you as someone who's going through sex educator training as well will be in a really good position as an intimacy coordinator to also know the ins and outs of what's just health related and boundary related but like just really well-rounded in that field so that's really good for you I'm happy (laughs) I think because media, me coming from this background, like I used to work in film in New York as well. And I, I noticed a lot of the time on set, whether it was a documentary or cause that's my background, but also once in a while on like storyline close set kind of things, there was sometimes scenes where you could tell the person, you know, the director was pushing for, you know, more passion and kind of throwing like vague terms because they didn't know how to convey what they actually wanted to see. And I think that using the appropriate language is so important, but being able to also talk about, you know, we want to see this side of this person, you know, because it's so unique how like each character has sex differently. And I think this is something that I heard in acting school, for example, that you should try to, this is going to sound so cheesy, but you should try to imagine how your character would eat a bowl of pasta, like eat a bowl of spaghetti. Like how would that be? Right? Like, how would that be different than you? And why do you know how they eat that way? And it's so interesting. That is not how we go about things. (laughs) Right. But it's so true that, you know, for example, I I know the actress Tilda Swinton, every time she has sex in a movie, it's different because she's playing different characters. And I think that's something that's so interesting to me to see how different actors convey their characters in intimate settings. And intimacy coordination could probably strengthen that and bring that out actors even more if they knew like you know the appropriate terms not just in terms of like consent and boundaries for the individual but also in from acting perspective the way fighting coordinators do when they create more passionate scenarios intimacy coordination right now is really based on five pillars and the first one is context which is huge and it's what you're talking about with the actors is like understanding who they are and what they're trying to convey with this scene and how that's different in every scene and the first step on every set or in every theater is to sit down with the director the writer if it's a play or if it's a new show and really figure out the context of the scene and what it's trying to communicate and I think having that extra level one it filters out all of the needless 
sex scenes that don't add anything to oh for sure to shows and just make sure that everything moves the plot forward but it also really it can help actors to contextualize that a lot there's a lot of fluff in terms of sex scenes and it really doesn't have to be because like we said I mean each character has sex differently and like what can that reveal about their personality what can that reveal about their relationship the nature of their relationship I think there's so much to explore there because you wouldn't necessarily do certain things with someone you just met if you're a very modest person but if you aren't a very modest person or you're extremely maybe reckless of a person how does that convey in how you have sex and how you feel as a sexual entity I think there's so much to explore in terms of characterization in sexual behavior and this is such an exciting field it's also interesting what you mentioned earlier about it being such a new and emerging field because I know that there have been just from the history of dance also there's been choreographers that choreographed really beautiful works in ballet and modern I know for example like Mirth Graham she worked in theater choreographing not necessarily sex scenes but I believe she worked doing some sort of consultation on like movement in a relationship and stage movement so not necessarily behavior but more like where people were facing when they were talking and creating that flow of movement so it would be interesting to see where like the roots of this were like modern dance choreographers consulting on plays to kind of create that rhythm whether it's a sex scene or a fight scene I would be really interested to see like where the roots of intimacy coaching or consultation are I will say that that's basically exactly where they are. My teacher, her name is Sarah Lazoff. I hate if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but her background is in ballet and in modern dance. And she recently helped to choreograph a piece with ABT. And it was like the, the piece were two male dancers. And it was like one of the first like gay ballets. And she was choreographing that. And I know that the founder of Intimacy Directors and Coordinators in America came from, and I say in America, because there's also a UK branch and there's, you know, right. they kind of are popping up all over the world. But she came from Fight Direction. And a lot of people who are currently trained came from fight direction. So the roots kind of, they are in dance and they are in fight direction and they are in anywhere else where people came on set to choreograph physicality. They just sort of realized that there's this other version of that that needed attention. Yeah, definitely. I want to know what your favorite, if you have any favorites, sex scenes are in movies or just in media and why, either why they're your favorite or what kind of sticks out about them. Yeah, I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I have a very long list. Well, I have a couple that have intimacy coordinators and a couple that don't. Okay. So the first one is, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Love and Basketball. Yes. Um, I love Ooh. that movie. <laughs> but that's that, the a- first sex scene. Yeah. I remember being very, very young and being very, very flustered and just not understanding why and being like, I'm not allowed to watch this movie. Right. <laughs> and just kind of censoring myself and then going back as an adult and being like, nothing happened. Why did I feel <laughs> so like flustered? And it really is just like, because they showed all of the buildup. And the biggest thing that I'm going to say that they all have in common is I'm going to mention is consent because I think consent is what makes those so hot Mm -hmm. because in love and basketball they they like slowly get undressed and then he just like asks her like four times and like you see him putting the condom on you see him like building up and I think that build up is just is what makes it so real and then your imagination takes you from there 
So that's a big one that I remember. I love that. That one in particular, that anticipation. I loved that. I remember watching that. I forget how old I was when I watched that, but I was a teenager. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, this is what I want my first time to be like. Because, yeah. you know, it was just so, it was so comforting to watch a sex scene that wasn't so rushed and, you know, someone just making out in a closet at a party and then turning it into sex. Like it was so loving and beautiful and I remember watching it on TV because they played that movie a lot on TV yeah they did (laughs) often (laughs) right and every time it was on I would know if they had passed that sex scene or not like depending on like where I was picking up in the movie would depend on if I was going to watch the rest of that movie (laughs) because that's how much I love that scene so that's such a good one definitely yeah that's probably my favorite one that I say before intimacy coordination I don't know if you've seen normal people on Hulu if you haven't watch it it's a wonderful I will definitely show. add it to my list yeah but that is a I think Irish TV show but it has an intimacy coordinator on it her name is Ida O'Brien she's amazing the sex scene in the second episode I think it's the first sex scene it has the same energy it's actually very long it's like six Ooh. or seven minutes and they don't have sex until the very end and then it cuts away kind of like love and basketball Ooh. but it's fun because there's like it's like awkward and bumbly and they're like taking each other's clothes off and like being weird about it and the girl's like I should have planned better like I didn't mean to wear this so like real like, life <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's so awkward and so just like true to life and because of that like you build up that anticipation you feel like you're there with them they like start and then stop because he's nervous and he's like wait are you sure and then he's like do you think I'm too big and she's like I think you're fine <laughs> it's like yeah so it just it kind of takes you through this whole journey with them and you feel their emotions and I feel like that's great and then you know, I have to mention Bridgerton, which is getting a lot of media right now. It's getting so much buzz right now. I haven't watched yeah. it yet, but I definitely am going to have to now just to keep up in yeah. the situation. I just, I love that people are so excited. They're like, these are the hottest scenes I've ever seen. And I just like, I have this knowledge that are like, there's an intimacy coordinator on these scenes. You don't know that there is, but that's right. why they're hot. And <laughs> I'm glad that you guys are noticing. And wow, yeah. That's actually really, really interesting happy. because that's really all I've heard. I have no idea about anything in the plot. I don't know anything the only two things I know about that show is that there is black people in the show and that they were very confused as to like the conversation they had about it in the show and that they have sex and it's really hot that's like it that's my only knowledge of that (laughs) show so far but that does make me want to watch it so yeah what a great reputation (laughs) right but other than that like I have no idea what even one character's name is so that'll be a good one for me to dive into have you ever seen disobedience it's a really good good one. Jewish, UK has Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weiss, two Rachels, can't go wrong. And it has that same thing where it's building up anticipation. And I don't want to, okay, this is a spoiler alert. This movie came out a couple years ago, but I mean, it's very obvious that they eventually do it because it's marketed as a lesbian drama. Right. Right. So they all have the same plot in the end. Yeah, they do. They're all like, I can't be with you because I'm married. And the other one is like, but we're in the olden times. But this one's actually not. (laughs) This one's actually not. This one's like pretty modern, which thank God. But they all are always like the same. But this one has a nice little twist, which I like a lot. But the sex scene, for those of you who haven't watched it, you can just skip ahead. But honestly, it doesn't really matter because you'll be blown away because I can't really discuss it in words and have it make the same impact as seeing it for the first time. But it's the most realistic lesbian sex scene I think I've seen in a big budget movie like this. I mean, I've seen 
some really good ones like that movie Concussion and a couple others. But this is like, I think the biggest production I've seen was such a realistic sex scene. And I know some people will like argue with this, but the reason I think it's so realistic is because they take their time. They are taking their time. They are not patient, but they're taking their time. They're touching above the clothes for a while. And like, there's also just stuff like there's like a mouth spitting moment. There is like, you know, like it's all over. So love that. I definitely have to watch it. Right. Just for that alone, you <laughs> have to watch the entire movie. Yes. And I watched it and I actually showed my husband that movie and he was like, wow, that is a really beautiful sex scene because I forgot that they were lesbians. It's usually just all about how they're lesbians. Yeah. Look at the boobs. Wow. Look, two boobs, you know, two pairs He's of like, boobs. Wow, she's already wearing a strap on. That's impressive. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I was like, that's so funny that he said that because it's so true. It's usually like, look at all the boobs. Now that's happening. And now it's over. (laughs) They both came within 15 seconds just from whispering. So that's lesbian yeah. sex. Like, it's so <laughs> Basically. weird. But yeah. Do you have any other faves? Have you seen the movie Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman? No. Wow. What a name. <laughs> yes. First of all, okay. As a comic book nerd, as a pansexual polyamorous unicorn, that is my favorite movie, um, The Fates of the Planet. Um, <laughs> that name, that title alone <laughs> matches your vibe. So I love that. Thank you. I'm I appreciate it. What was the name of it again? It's Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. I and love there that. is is a wonderful scene. Basically, it's the creator of Wonder Woman. He was in a polyamorous threesome. He based the character on his two partners. Oh, I've read about his whole story. That yeah, is Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's a great movie. But the first sex scene, the three of them, they go on stage and they dress up as Greek goddesses and it's like kinky and it's like that. beautiful and theatrical and just, it's amazing. Speaking of like kinkiness and consent, what are some things you feel are missing from sex scenes in media, especially in popular media? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot, first of all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's start there. I would say, yeah, a lot. Not to be another sex educator to talk about Emily Nagowski, but I think that the fact that every sex scene is spontaneous and none of it is right. about like responsive desire. It's all about like, we're fighting or we just walked into this room and I see you and now I'm horny and I let's have sex immediately. Right. They create tension within the movie in various ways. Like Hollywood has a million ways to do that, but there's no representation of like long-term relationships building up tension or planning sexual experiences and still having that be attractive or like actual seduction in a way that isn't like cheesy or cheap (laughs) so that I think is a big thing and then of course like just representation like older bodies like disability people of color BDSM that isn't Fifty Shades of Grey like don't even get me started on (laughs) the worst movie ever created yeah (laughs) and it's such a shame because it could have been such a great culture shift. I mean, it kind of was. There's a lot more people now that are willing to admit that they're kinky, but there was really no conversation of consent. There was no talk about boundaries. I mean, if there were, it was very little and none of that important conversation about health and safety. So yeah, it kind of created this whole movement of people that were like, well, I'm going to go home and tie up my husband without asking him first. And I'm yeah. like, no, please don't do that. And so, it, it's crazy because like some people understands that there is like a need for consent and need for negotiation a little bit sort of intuitively when that kind of stuff comes up but what they don't understand is like the idea of pinching a nerve or like literally cutting off circulation to a person's body because you don't know how to do this safely and so if there is going to be representation even half of a line 
like it's so like I went to school for writing and producing for TV. So I know how easy it is to insert like they do it with advertisements. They do it with like trying to get you to buy things. They do it with sequels. Like somehow every time you watch a movie, you know, there's going to be a sequel. So when you see a scene, it's very easy to just inch in consent, safety, boundaries. Just it's so easy. Yeah, I think, you know, that shows sex education on Netflix. I'm a little conflicted sometimes because, well, one, I'm very tired of seeing teenagers have sex on TV. I know what happens. I made a whole podcast episode about how we need to have spaces for teenagers to experience sexuality on the internet. But I would love just a little older, just so that's yeah. that's really when people get into the the kind of like the guts of their sexual identity. And also they just learn more about what they like. And within that, they explore a little bit more. I definitely did a lot more exploration in college or my, you know, early 20s than high school when I'm what, 16, 17. It's just that it's also just a very limited view of the self. You know, you're going through all of these changes. It's very overwhelming. I would just want a little bit older just so people can do kinky stuff too and not, yeah. you know, because people watch maybe sex education, they see fetish stuff or whatever. And they're like, I don't know why I feel weird about it. And I'm like, maybe because this person is like 16, that's doing it. Yeah. So you instinctively are like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to enjoy watching them go through this self-discovery. And I think that's just so important. I also would love to see just more, like you said, representation about responsive desire, because I think we also don't talk about it enough in terms of like, it's also okay if you are dating someone who has spontaneous desire and you are a mix or you have responsive and what that looks like. And weirdly, one of the, there was this one show on Netflix with Paul Rudd where he has like a clone. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. (laughs) I forget what it's called, but I guess it doesn't really matter. But they kind of show responsive desire a little bit. Like she gets more turned on when his clone man (laughs) is telling a story and acting more like himself because he's been like really depressed for a while and he looks more lively and happy. So she's more into him. And I noticed that moment and I was like, why don't we have more of that? Like a couple going through a rough patch and one of them starts to feel better mentally and that ignites their sex life again that is so common like why do we not see more of that and there's ways to do it that's not super mundane yeah, I think that's so important. It's interesting because it feels like when you're you're talking about this sex in high school with teenagers and they're far too advanced and it's teaching teenagers that they should have already be living the BDSM sex life of their right. dreams when that's not the case versus 10 years later, you're like, well, you guys are done having sex now. You're now depressed yeah. and you're old and it can't come back. And it's like that just the entire narrative on sex in Hollywood is just so backwards. It just teaches yeah, people yeah. that their sex life is wrong, essentially, because it's yeah. not what the average person is going through. It puts everyone on this weird timeline. And there's a lot of people I know that didn't really do anything sexual until after college even because they didn't come to terms with their sexuality until they were older. I have a friend of mine who didn't quote come out (laughs) until they were, I think, 22 or so. And the way they say it is like, my life started, my sexual, my dating, my relationship life started, but I should have already had those experiences. And it made me realize like, it's not always coming of age for everyone when they're coming out. It's usually a little bit later where they're just grappling with this idea, no matter what community they grew up in. Sometimes it's just, even if someone's really accepting and loving around you, it can just be kind of a shock that you're the different one in the family or that you have a different need or desire than your friends do. And you can't relate to their conversations. So 
I'm happy that there's more like LGBTQ representation. I just, like I said, I wish it was a little bit older because it's more realistic that way. Yeah, definitely. Going off on this idea that it doesn't have to be mundane in order for it to be relatable. A lot of people tell me that whenever I talk about consent, whether I'm teaching a lecture or just talking about it on Instagram, I always have people tell me that verbally requesting consent or saying that you want to do something ruins the mood and people can probably already guess what my thoughts are on that but what are you <laughs> what are your thoughts on that and also how would you go about making it not ruin the mood in uh let's say like a tv show you know as someone who's also a sex educator i probably have the same thoughts on that like my first thought yeah. is like no it doesn't <laughs> it's actually mandatory but right. i think people underestimate to the extent that they already do it and the extent that which they already enjoy it like people will ask also probably just as often as like oh i want to do like dirty talk i want to do these things how do i do that and i'm like consent's a great way to integrate dirty talk into your sex life yeah. just saying like what do you want me to do or like do you like this like just things like that are so easy to like integrate that or but also just more of this. Uh, I love that one yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and it's also like you know especially if you're interested in in kink or even if you don't know that this is kinky like the idea of edging like just stopping and be like do you want me to continue is a great way to check in halfway through but also like that's an entire act <laughs> within itself yeah. and so there's so many different ways to do it that one those lines are going to be incorporated into more films and you're going to see more of that and you already kind of are seeing more of that with intimacy coordination but also just the nonverbal things an example that they showed us in class is the difference between like two characters making out and falling onto a bed versus one just like presenting the bed to them and then having someone sit down and having someone sit down next to them or like right. the classic move that people do where someone's being awkward and they like move their hand up to their chest or something like that yeah. like that is like an act of saying like hey you can do this <laughs> yeah like this is this is allowed so just yeah there are both like verbal and nonverbal things to do that are really hot that you're probably already doing you're just like not used to doing them with intention. Yeah, I totally agree. And I don't know why my mind went to this, but in terms of group dynamics, like threesomes or group sex in media, there's not a ton of representation at all. And I think in terms of consent, that's also such a gray area for people a lot of times because they're sometimes asking two people at once and there's a lot going on sometimes for people. And one of the scenes that I remembered Oh no, I don't remember the, <laughs> the title of this movie, but bear with me. It has Audrey Plaza and Dave Franco, James Franco's like little brother, and the guy who played Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and it, they're nuns, and it's called The Little Hours, I think. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, there's this, like a scene where there's a threesome, and I won't spoil it for anyone in case they want to like look at this movie, which I don't even know if that's the title, but I will check that. <laughs> but there's this scene where... It's very nonverbal consent because somebody is like, this is going to happen like verbally. And he's like, all right, okay. And he's just kind of like looking around. He's like looking at both of them and they're just doing stuff to him. And there's a part where he like just moves one of them back up. And I think stuff like that is so important because no matter what, how much is going on, like you're allowed to be in control of your body. And it was also one of the few examples that I saw of women characters being more direct to a male character. And I also just don't see that as much unless it's like really intense like she's the dominatrix or like she's the evil yeah. boss or like she's the stepmom or some shit like that so it's always like she's already in this like 
power dynamic where she's the leader and that's why that's happening. But this was one of those situations where they were kind of, you know, all societally equal or they were even considered, I guess, at this time, like lesser than. So it was really interesting for me to see this dynamic. And I was like, this is a comedy and they somehow did it right where they did a group sex dynamic that wasn't super crazy weird. And it was also like everyone kind of got to be in control of what they wanted and what they were doing. And I'm like, that's so bizarre that like that's the movie. It's like a fake done <laughs> comedy from the middle ages with like the most ridiculously random cast. Like what? I just, yeah. it's so funny how like there's certain things that just knock out of the park that you don't expect. And then things like sex in the city where you're just like, why? No one would do that. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing ever in media when there's like a group sex scene is to like sit there and watch to see who kisses first. Like if it's a couple yeah. and a third, that's my favorite thing in the world because one, like that's usually the moment where you can see like, does this movie get it wrong? Is this just gonna be awkward? Are they gonna do a weird like triple kiss? I hate that. <laughs> it's so awkward, <laughs> but it's so interesting because usually like that is where you see the most direction on consent and like boundaries and everything. You can kind of see it non-verbally where sometimes it's like a married couple and like the husband looks at his wife and is like giving like a non-verbal permission right. or the couple looking at the third and then like all centrally and awkwardly, which could be saved yeah. and then kissing each other to like introduce like we are okay with this like we are inviting you into this dynamic and I find that to be so interesting and then there's yeah. you know shows that avoid it all together and like pan down and like three right. people hold hands and that's, that's a whole different thing <laughs> That is so true. There's so many sex scenes where someone's just like talking and then just like cut scene, wide angle shot, they're all in bed. And it's just so funny. Or like that classic shot of their feet in bed and like it pans yeah, which what is they're so doing weird. with their hands and then it pans up to their faces kissing or, you know, their faces popping up from the covers also. It's so funny yeah. how many tropes there are sexually. And also with this like group sex dynamic, it's so funny because anytime I have like ever encountered that in my own life whether I was in a couple or not it's always the person who is like least you know connected to the other people that I wait for them to start because yeah. that's just how it is for me so it's always so funny when I see that always opposite in media and I'm like no wonder people always think it's like super predatory when there's like couples you know looking to hook up with someone which I mean obviously a lot of the times it is but I'm like no wonder that that's a thing when and all we see in the media is like, hey, honey, go pick up a chick from the bar and bring her home. Like, <laughs> yeah, and like, surprise, what, right? I have a husband and now we're making out and you're in our house. Right. Like, what reality are they living in where that is like super cool and fun? I'm like, I would not be okay with my husband just coming home out of the blue and being like, hey, brought home this girl. Hope that's cool. We've never, ever discussed this before. I've never mentioned this out loud and it's happening right now. Take off your bra. Like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I just be like sure I'll try anything once like I mean it just takes yeah. away so much of the validity of the rest of the plot when shit like that happens I'm like well and now I don't care about any of these characters and what's great about intimacy coordination is that well I have a lot of goals for where I want to take it I'm a very assertive person so I'm always trying to change the job description of something <laughs> 
<laughs> but the best part is that it does start, like I said, with that context. It starts with the conversation with the director and the writers. Like, what are we trying to communicate? What is the storyline of this scene? Because then things like that can be like taken into account. Like, let's make sure that we tell the full story. And it's not just this like random string of events that don't make any sense. I would love to get intimacy coordinators in as like consulting producers earlier when I was in college in like 2015 is when I started like taking more like sex education classes and started focusing on TV and film. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a consulting producer in the writer's room and like read the script that they already wrote and be like, nope, scratch this, scratch that, scratch that. We're going to change this. And so that's why I'm hoping to take the job a little bit. But yeah, it's yeah. it's great that at least in the room, we can sort of change those narratives and make it make a little bit more sense. Definitely. Do you find that like of your teachers and people that you know who are actively working on set, I mean, before COVID or now with COVID regulation, yeah. do you find that actors are receptive to intimacy coaching or do you find that it's that like gray area where you don't want to step on their toes how would you go about not wanting to you know give them an acting correction but obviously it's hard to avoid when you're telling people what to do <laughs> Well, it's really just about like the way that we go about it, right? So we start off and the first meeting is always, like I said, this conversation, the directors and writers room, but also a conversation with the actors. We don't just go in to be like, all right, guys, like, welcome to rehearsal. Here's how we like, let's begin. Another pillar is communication. Like we're all going to talk to each other. We're all going to respect each other's boundaries. You guys are going to tell me right off the bat what is good, what is not good. And opening this up where it's like, listen, you guys have autonomy over your own body. You guys can stop the scene at any point. If I tell you to do something and you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you have a problem on set, here is the chain of command. And here is the power dynamics that are going to be involved. Like, tell me what makes you feel comfortable and starting it like that. It gives like obviously we have the power over the choreography which is another pillar <laughs> we have the power over the choreography and what's actually happening but in general the actors really have complete control over what they're doing with their body and that in general just makes it an easier exchange but what I've seen in the media a lot is I've seen a few actors react to certain scenes and again they don't even know the correct terminology and they don't even know who because it's such a new field like they don't even know who they were talking to but I've like heard the actors in Bridgerton talking about their people like is it so awkward to kiss this person and their response is like well no because we rehearsed it and we had this like intimacy person there to like and they kind of like don't know what's going on but they're like they were in our trailer helping us out and like made us feel really safe and like <laughs> everything I hear is just from different actors on different shows is just like yeah there's this person just like who was there yeah. <laughs> kind of helping us out and I'm like that's that's great that just means that they they felt comfortable in that situation yeah I remember reading something about what's the actor's name he plays Edward Cullen Robert uh, Pattinson yeah Robert Pattinson I remember reading something about Robert Pattinson never using I really don't remember like this headline but it was like he never uses a stunt double for sex scenes which I was like what a weird way to phrase that a body double <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. and he never fakes any of his sex scenes and he masturbated in a movie and I remember thinking I was like there's no way ever in any sex scene he's ever done they were just like one take all right it's done he had the sex <laughs> and now it's over like I don't know why people don't I mean there's so many like behind the scenes things there's so many movies about tv and tv about movies you know it's like you would know by now that it's not only in one take and you know his penis is probably in some like little pocket 
or like he's wearing, you know, some type of, you know, magical undergarments that hide everything just for the safety of the other actor, you know, in the bed with him. But it's just so funny because that headline, everyone just believed it. And they were like, wow, what a committed actor. And I was like, there's no way that he could have maybe masturbated on set in a film. Like, I'm not going to dispute that, but there's probably multiple takes. So, you know, he's probably touching himself in real life in real time, but I doubt he was like, okay, you want me to finish for the eighth time in a row? All right, cool. Like (laughs) Like done. Robert Pattinson is a superman. Right. right. Like that's not happening. So there's always that movie magic and people don't want to pop the bubble, so to speak. But I think it's so important that we talk about this stuff just so people know that this is not supposed to always be educational and sex scenes are in movies the same way, you know, explosions are in action movies. You don't expect those to look the same in real life either. So I think it's really important, this type of work. I want to know what are some more things you want to do with this training and what your goals are for the future. So obviously the goal of the entire industry is to get an intimacy coordinator on every set. Every time there's a scene of intimacy, simulated sex, nudity, just like HBO recently mandated it for all their TV shows, which makes sense because all of their TV shows have a lot of sex in them. But just to no get boundaries. every company. <laughs> yeah, not Love at all. that motto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so finally they can be, they can do that safely and, you know, with an intimacy coordinator so obviously that's the first goal personally like a smaller goal is that I want to coordinate scenes on both extremes so as a sex educator someone who's trained in that I have a little bit more knowledge than the average intimacy coordinator might have on like BDSM and kink and LGBT sex and like intersex representation and polyamorous couples and just different things that like we get educated on that the average intimacy coordinator might not so I want to work on those sets and make sure that we're getting some accurate and safe representation of that. But on the other hand, I grew up actually in the same town as you, but also. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we um, probably like so, mention how we know each other at the end of the <laughs> Yes, we'll do that. But I grew up split between a conservative Northeast town and a conservative North Carolina town because my parents were divorced. And in both of those situations, I was heavily sheltered because one side of the family just didn't watch TV and the other side really, really monitored what I could see. And because of that, I understand the importance of like getting that language of consent and getting those boundaries to kind of like sneak into conservative television because what slipped through the cracks for me was not healthy and not okay. And so I want to get intimacy coordinators on like children's TV shows where there's no sex, but there's discussions of consent and relationships where there's like, he's a bully and now we're dating and we only kiss once at the end of the series, but but that's not an okay narrative yeah. to teach children. That's so, so true. Yeah. So I definitely, I want to work on both extremes and there's plenty of people who will work in the middle. I think it's also something that I realized, like when I was coming to terms with my queerness and I was like, what a representation do I have? And I remember like the L word was super popular. Yeah. And I mean, at the time it was really progressive. Now it wouldn't really hold up to today's standards. I don't think, but I remember, you know, these tropes that like, you have to be best friends with your ex and you you know, you might leave the person you're with your ex because you're actually secretly in love with them. And after dating for two days, you move in and like weird stuff like that. Right. I was like, is that what dating women is going to be like? And now, you know, there's more representation of non-binary people, people that identify in other ways, trans people. And I think that kind of stuff is so important too, not just for dismantling this like weird binary that existed within what was just called the LGBT or LGB. Yeah. Very young. <laughs> 
but to really break up these narratives and introduce some new stories and introduce people to ways that people get intimate that we might not even consider. Intimacy can be so many different things for so many people. And I think there definitely is a lot of room for you to be on those sets, not just for the sex, but for all of the other stuff. I think that's so important. It's so true. How I learned about like, if a boy has a crush on me is if he was like pulling my hair, or, like kicking me in the ground. Yeah. Like, it's just not fun. Like, I always use the Vampire Diaries as an example because I was rewatching it and there was a scene where she said out loud, some guy was like, he killed your entire family. And she's like, yeah, but he's changed now. And I love him. Oh and I'm like, wow, that is wild. Like, oh. <laughs> like the, what a, what a narrative. Right. And also this, uh, the tropes of like cheating where it's like, well, I just couldn't help myself like that whole thing and how cheating sex is always seen as like way more passionate than the sex yeah. they're having with their partner. If there is any in the show or movie, I've noticed that a lot. And I think it's really important. And maybe I can ask the audience to do this next time they're watching TV show or movie that has any type of intimacy is notice the tropes being played with because tropes aren't always bad. They're usually based in, you know, what we find comfortable, what we understand to be truths about our society. Yeah. But just notice and see how they compare with what you do and what you know as your intimate life. Because I think there's there's so many things we can challenge. Just becoming an active viewer of media, just yeah. understanding what you're taking in. I think the political climate currently in America is helping with that because people are like looking at things and looking for context for them, yeah. which is great. But to do that in everything that you watch, like I love Gen Z, right? Right now because I, I look on social media and they're like I see BuzzFeed articles that are like top 10 couples that are super toxic and that we shouldn't have rooted for yes. and I'm like yes perfect <laughs> I love that <laughs> like why did right. these two why did these couples end up together they shouldn't have so Definitely. that kind of stuff is is huge I love that I'm sometimes just like super tired of the discourse so I ask people like just go on what you feel and you can totally keep yeah. it to yourself like we don't always have to I mean it's my job to sit down and tell people what I'm thinking all the time basically <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff that I notice and that I kind of digest on my own time and in my own terms and I think that that is more important sometimes than creating that discourse in public because I don't know it all even though I'm a sex educator sometimes I have to question some of the stuff that I learned and like you said we grew up in the same town and it was a very conservative little pocket of a very liberal part of the United States which is really interesting kind of juxtaposition and the stuff that slipped through the cracks for me a lot of it involved like what I was supposed to do as a woman and compulsory heterosexuality but it's just so interesting for me to kind of go back and forth a lot on my own time and just notice what media informed me of that I made yeah. a tumblr in like 2009 like I mentioned with my last guest Mal and it was like what did I see on that website that like dismantled what I thought and also what like really strengthened these weird toxic shit that I picked up. So I'm happy intimacy consultation exists because it's definitely needed. And I'm really excited oh, for, for sure. Gen Z to have more media that has been consulted on to be a little <laughs> less toxic. <laughs> yes, a little less toxic.
toxic is what we're going on. And yeah. a huge goal of mine is to fix the American rating system, which is like what a huge oh, like my God. <laughs> what a huge thing to try to do. But a little I, bit of teaching knowledge you for you. I thank you. Lay it on me. I would I love <laughs> this is this blows my mind every time I hear about it. So yeah. So our current film rating system was developed in 1968. Right. Almost positive. That's correct. And that was the Motion Picture Association of America decided like this is for movies. This is what we're going to say. This is PG, PG-13. All of that was created in the 60s, which is like imagine the morals of America in 1968. Like that's what we're going off of. And then TV didn't get regulated until 96. And it was basically going off of like when TV was invented, like the 30s. Like I don't know if you've ever seen like the Honeymooners and I Love Lucy and how the married yeah. couples had separate beds. Yeah, because separate bed having this everything. Yeah. Having the same bed was like an implication of sex like how dare we and no talk about pregnancy that was very taboo oh yeah like there was no we're going to have a baby like you said there is we have kids and they're adults (laughs) um (laughs) and there's like it was so specific and it went on that way until the 90s when they were like just kidding we would like to show full frontal and so therefore tvma like which is supposed to be equal to rated r but you can get a movie rated r if you talk explicitly about sex versus tvma that would be you have to show full nudity it's ridiculous. Our rating system for movies versus TV is so just, they're it's completely different. Entirely different. Yeah. And it makes no sense. And in both situations, you can show graphic blood and violence in America yes. at 13 years old, as opposed to any it's talk of so sex. Weird. It's so weird. I also know that there's a huge kind of sexist spin on all of this that like, for example, the rules for oral sex, you can hint that like a guy got a blowjob, but when you're talking about just talking about oral sex in terms of like cunnilingus then that becomes like a more severe rating and I think that's really interesting and I know that there are some movies that fought this like Boys Don't Cry in the 90s fought this they I think they got higher rating initially but they fought it and got a lower one but don't quote me on that but I know that they fought it (laughs) and a couple other directors that fought to have their movie just shown in theaters or distributed even by you know more independent like I know Miramax picked up a couple movies that fell through the cracks initially because of the rating system. So it's just so bizarre how this happened. And it's also really interesting to see movies before the movie rating system from like the 30s, how they were actually kind of like progressive. And then this thing happened and then everything kind of became way more modest. So weird. Like a movie from like 1930 something might be more progressive than one from the 60s. That's so crazy crazy and it's weird like i can go on a whole tangent but it's weird the connection to like american history like the world wars have a lot to do with it um like it is have you come back and just talk about the politics of the rating system for a long time because it (laughs) is so interesting and also like the politics of like who was allowed to be sexual and i would also love to chat with you about like queer and trans representation like not just new queer cinema but also like the whole thing with how trans people were only really portrayed in terms of like someone like vomiting when they knew they were trans like East Ventura or the crying game mm-hmm. and stuff like that I would oh, love yeah. to have like a part two with you about just yeah, like definitely representation so thank you so much for coming on and I'm so happy that uh you're my sound editor oh yeah we should also tell people how we know each other so right. <laughs> so your dad 
was my dance teacher, my ballet instructor from a very young age and pushed me actually a lot to kind of step into my own and take control of my creativity and like hone it. So I really appreciate him for that. So thank you, Ted. But <laughs> yeah, that's how we know each other. Too. Shout out to yeah. Ted. Um, but that's how we know each other. And I think it wasn't until like we were both in high school that you started hanging out a lot more backstage, doing some stage manager stuff. And I went through a very conservative phase in like middle school and like freshman year of high school where I rejected my dad because he was like this liberal like ballerina, like right. large black man. And I was like, you're going to hell, dad. And right. then I was like, just kidding. I might be gay. So it turns <laughs> out no one's going to hell. <laughs> We're all good. Never mind. But it was interesting because I know one of your first episodes, you talked a little bit about your upbringing mm-hmm. and no one told me anything because I looked gay. And so like, I had no idea what was going on. I was just like, I heard random rumors and I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> I was like, this person's <laughs> That's cool. so funny. I've I was like, heard that before. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. Like I just, I was like slightly younger and I was like, and I think that's why people didn't tell me. Cause I was like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, <laughs> not, not awesome. Just kidding. I, I don't understand. That's probably um, why we gravitate so- towards one another as friends because you were like, Hey, that's cool. I might be yeah, like, like, what an yeah. interesting person. <laughs> I also feel like we've talked about this before, but queer people in high school, whether they know it or not, tend to gravitate towards one another. Because when we yeah. talk, they'll talk to and who we're still friends with, like pretty much everyone turned out to be queer. <laughs> oh yeah, every single person. It's so interesting. I actually was sent, some person in my old basketball team from like sophomore year of high school sent me a picture. And basically like my basketball team, there was, we're distinctly segregated into two groups of friends throughout the team. And they were like, it's crazy how the six of us used to hang out and five of us have come out. And I'm like, so funny. that is crazy. I didn't realize that, but I love yeah. That. But yeah, I'm so happy that we kept in touch or reconnected. I should say, because there was like a while I was just not really online that much, but I'm happy that we reconnected. And if you want to check out more of Chelsea's work, what they do, both in terms of media production, they're my sound editor, like I said, and they're very talented, as you can tell. And also in terms of intimacy consultation, you can check out their website, which will be linked in the description for this episode and their Instagram, which will also be in the description. Want to hear longer episodes and bonus content? Head to my Patreon at bbirna for some journal prompts, guided audio exercises, behind-the-scenes clips, classes, and yes, longer podcast episodes. I hope you enjoy. I'm sending you all my love over here in Iceland.